So we are continuing our message and mission series about gospel-shaped outreach to, uh, to equip us, to encourage us, to embolden us, to remind us of what our message is with the good news of Jesus Christ, our mission uh, to share that good news with others. Uh, last week, we talked about what is the gospel plan um, and not the plan of salvation that you might um, present to someone as the good news, uh, but what is God's gospel good news plan to save people, um, to redeem man? And so you know, it was a big picture, right, of, of what God uh, desires and what he's done uh, throughout history, um, his redemptive plan. And so uh, I said that God's plan has always been to rescue his people. God's plan has always included a promised king. And God's plan of salvation has been fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, pretty big picture look here. And then in the Bible study, we got to kind of dive in and look at what is the kind of the meta narrative, right? From uh, before creation, creation, fall, uh, working up to redemption and glorification. And so <clears throat> it's this beautiful, grand story throughout the history uh, and pre-history of the world. Um, which will conclude in, in uh, Jesus returning and making all things new, right? And for us to worship him forever. And so uh, that is the gospel plan, the good news plan that God has for mankind. Uh, today we'll look at how should we pray. Uh, and for this message, we'll turn to the place where Jesus literally said in the scripture, pray like this. And so if we ever wonder, how should we pray? We might go to Jesus straight, straight up answering, this is how you should pray. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 7 through 15. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. Lord's Prayer appears in other places in the New Testament, uh, other Gospels, but we'll be in Matthew 6. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others with their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. In Luke's gospel, <clears throat> around the Lord's Prayer, it's actually prompted by one of the disciples saying, uh, teach us how to pray. How should we pray? Uh, so just as we're asking how should we pray, the disciples back then who walked with Jesus um, said, how should we pray? They were wanting to know uh, from the greatest teacher of all time, from the Son of God, right? God himself, how should we pray? <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jesus says, pray then like this. Uh, and the world has paid attention, right? The Lord's Prayer is uh, prevalent around the world, millions, if not billions of people, right, reciting this prayer um, throughout history because Jesus said, pray like this. Um, but sadly, uh, most people, or many people, meh, yeah, I might say most. I don't know. That's a strong statement. Most people. Uh, most people. I will say most people. I'll say that. Most people, sadly, are doing exactly what Jesus just said not to do in verse 7, right? He says, don't offer up empty phrases. 
And so when he says pray like this, he's not saying like every other prayer is empty phrases, but these words are magic words, and so they're not empty phrases. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't pray without really having a heart intent to, to know what you're praying, um, to, to pray genuinely, again, from the heart, not just to say words. And so for countless people throughout history to take the Lord's Prayer and think, oh, it's just this magic recitation of these words, it has become empty phrases, sadly. Um, and what those who just recite the prayer without any intention behind it or heart behind it, um, sometimes it's with thinking, right, as, as he said, the Gentiles, uh, they think their many words are going to impress God, right? Um, and so it's become this thing where if, if I pray, if I know the Lord's Prayer, I'm impressing God with my many words. And that's exactly what Jesus said, uh, just said not to do. And yet, how many, uh, I don't know, athletic teams, uh, people who are just legalists who are like, I have to follow the law and just cross all these um, things off my list, check all these boxes, uh, or just misguided, well-intentioned people, right, are saying the Lord's Prayer without really understanding and really meaning the words that they're praying. Um, I'm just trying to impress God with empty phrases or uh, many words. <clears throat> it reminds me, as it always does, and I quote this every time I teach on prayer, just because I love to relive it and recount it, um, but the prayer scene from National Lampoon's Vacation, um, so Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold in the first vacation movie, um, they have Aunt Edna with them for part of the trip. Spoiler alert, she dies, and so they strap her to the top of the car Put a tarp over. Remember this, Aaron? Yeah. Um, they, put, they, they don't. The kids don't want to sit next to the corpse, and so they put her on top of the car and try to like tie her down. And they're driving through rain and all this kind of stuff, and they're not sure what to do with her. And so they end up. They have like a cousin in Arizona or something. And they're like, "We'll just leave her there." Um, well, no one's home, and so he's like, "Well, we got to keep going with our road trip." Uh, but uh, his wife is like, "You should say something. Like we should have some kind of ceremony." This departed, you know, relative. And so he launches into this amazing prayer, and I, the one time I transcribed it, is that what you said, like when you're hearing and typing, is that transcribed? Because uh, I wanted to get it word for word. <clears throat> he says, oh God, ease our suffering in this, our moment of great despair. Yea, admit this good and decent woman into thine arms in the flock in thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he laideth down by the band of the Canaanites. And yea, though the Hindus speak of karma, I implore you, give her a break. <laughs> Sorry, he doesn't laugh. Uh, and then he goes, Barukat Hallelujah. <laughs> like this Jewish chant or something. Um, it's so great. And his wife's like, Clark. And he says, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm doing my best, okay? Um, but I think what that, uh, in, at least in my mind, is hilarious scene. Um, what it illustrates, and I've seen this play out throughout years of ministry, is that people are often afraid to pray because they think it has to sound like that. It has to be lofty. It has to be King, King James speech. It has to you know, beckon on the Old Testament, or it has to be uh, ritualistic, like a chant, like a monk or something. Um, and so they just don't pray because they think it has to be that, and they can't do that, or they turn it into that. That's not what Jesus is after. That's not what God is after, right? He just wants a humble and true, authentic heart to communicate to him. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say. 
And so it's more for us, right, to, to pray and to, to show dependence on the Lord and to press into Him <clears throat> as He works out what He has already promised and taught us uh, in our hearts and minds. Um, and so to not be intimidated about prayer, right? To not turn it into what Clark turned it into. I'm not, I'm not a professional minister. I can't just pray for someone, right? Um, that's one of the, uh, the, the downsides of being a professional minister is that you're, everyone's, it's time to pray. Everybody looks at you like, you're the pro. I'm like, I mean, all right, okay. Um, anyone can pray. Anyone can pray, right? And it doesn't have to be fancy like that. It's about our heart attitudes, right? Our motives, um, our intentions, just being authentic before the Lord. And so as we talk about that and being authentic and being prayerful and wanting to pray like Jesus prayed, and we're talking about outreach, so how do these things go together? So when it comes to praying for those who have yet to trust in Jesus for salvation, uh, we can still use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. Uh, and the first thing we learn from the Lord's Prayer that we need to recognize in our prayer lives is our position in prayer, our position in prayer. <clears throat> Jesus begins his prayer with, our Father in heaven. Uh, this is the greeting portion, right? Just like when you learn to write a letter at school, dear so-and-so, okay? So as Jesus opens his prayer, who are we addressing? Our Father in heaven. And there's so much packed in just these four words. It's pretty amazing. First, just our, the word our. Jesus reminds his disciples that we are all in this kingdom life together. We're not alone. When you pray, don't be tempted to think that it's you against the world. Right? Are you against the enemy fighting solo? This hour should remind us that you aren't the only believer in the world. You're not the only one who's experienced the grace of God and who is calling out to this God for help in time of need or for encouragement or whatever it might be. You have a spiritual family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You're part of a body, Scripture says. We are one part, but everybody has their part to play. So we're praying from a position of unity, right, with others under some common banner. Be encouraged that this movement, this gospel, this kingdom movement, it's not a solo effort. The very next word further informs our position on prayer. It's Father, so our Father. Father tells us that we're children. We have someone who loves us and made us and claims us as His. Like the, the Maury show, right? The results say... You are the Father. God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, if we trust in Jesus. And so He is ours. We are in this together, and He is Father. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us our position to God, that He is source. He is authority. He is guide. He is superior. He cares for us. He claims us. We have much to learn from Him. We represent Him to the world, right? When you receive a family name, you are kind of a representative of that family. And so as God is our Father, we're, Scripture says we're ambassadors for God. And so we reflect His image. We bear His image. We reflect His image. Um, but, you know, I, always growing up, it was like, oh, we know who your daddy is. You look just like your dad, right? You look just like your dad. Spiritually, that's what God has put on us. His image. And so it should be spiritually, where people look at a believer, look at a Christian, and say, You look just like your dad, right? You look just like your heavenly father. And so we have our father. 
John 1.12 says, John 1.12 says that all who believe and trust in Jesus receive the right to become children of, of God. And so we get this Heavenly Father, we receive this Heavenly Father who is perfect in every way. He's good and He wants our good. And as we offer up prayers to our Father, it reflects. It reflects a couple of things. First, our equality with each other. We're all brothers and sisters, siblings in the spiritual family, but also kind of this inequality with God, right? He is Father. He is other. He is authority. It reminds us that God can do things that we can't. <clears throat> he can control or subdue things over which we have no control, uh, which is why we're praying to him in the first place. In outreach, our Father should also remind us that there are some who are not part of our and who not have God as Heavenly Father. People who are far from God who have yet to trust in Jesus for salvation. Countless people around the world, right, who cannot claim our Father. And instead of this creating an I'm glad I'm not like them kind of prayer, which we also see people teach against and Jesus teach against, it should prompt us uh, in us, oh, I wish they could experience what I've experienced type prayers. So when we say there's a distinction, right, it's not us versus them, it's, it's uh, we've fallen into God's grace and we want you to fall into God's grace as well. So that's our position in prayer. We're in this together with our brothers and sisters as part of a family, all submitted to a heavenly father. Next comes our priority in prayer. Our priority in prayer. Jesus lets us know... <clears throat> In, in his prayer, that the priority of our prayer should be to hallow the name of God and desire for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So let's unpack hallowed be your name for a minute. Uh, and this second point, um, none of you probably would have ever have known this, but it's just, I have to say this. Uh, this is copy and paste from a sermon I did like three years ago. So uh, I don't know. I just feel like I should tell you that. My last sermon preached at H&W was Hallowed Be Your Name, okay? And so that's where most of this came from. Um, there, all right? Um, <clears throat> so let's unpack that. Hallowed Be Your Name. John Stott, theologian John Stott, he writes, the name of God is not a combination of the letters G, O, and D. The name stands for the person who bears it, for his character and activity. So God's name is God himself, as he is in himself and has revealed himself. When Jesus refers to God's name, he's referring to the whole essence of our Heavenly Father's character or person, okay? So we see name used like this in the Old Testament as well. This is not a, a new concept for Jesus to say, pray, you know, um, in our, hallowed be your name, just the name of God, like don't say it, <clears throat> but your character, your person. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, right? We trust in the person and work of God. 2 Samuel twenty two fifty. therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name, right? I'm not just praising the letters in a name, I'm praising the person of God. Genesis 12, 8, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord, calling on the person and work of the Lord. 1 Samuel 12, 22, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And so this great name, the name of, it's just saying this name represents the person, the character, the being of God. So Jesus' disciples, familiar with the Old Testament, would understand that he wasn't talking about just paying lip service or just kind of name dropping, but that we should desire for the person of God to be hallowed or worshiped. 
Hallowed be your name is the first of seven pleas in the Lord's Prayer, and it serves as kind of a foundation for the other six. Hallow means to revere as holy or set apart. So the prayer is, God, may you be seen in your proper position as set apart. Uh, to quote John Stott again, he said, God's name is already holy in that it is separate from and exalted over every other name. But we pray that it may be hallowed, treated as holy, because we ardently desire that due honor be given to it. That is to him whose name it is in our own lives, in the church, and in the world. This is our utmost priority in prayer, as it is the utmost priority in our lives. We exist to glorify God. So our priority in prayer is to see God glorified. May your name be hallowed. May you be glorified. May others see you. May I see you. May the world see you, God, as set apart. And you be treated as you should be treated, worshipped as you should be. For our prayer to really be hallowed be your name, what we're saying is that our heart's desire is for God to be honored, revered, worshipped above all things. We're saying we want God to have first place in our lives, to be recognized as on his throne, reigning over our lives and the rest of the universe. But how many times have we uttered, hallowed be your name, when in reality our lives point to something else as on the throne of our hearts? See, hallowing God's name reorients our prayers away from selfish ambition and toward the glory of God. There are requests, right? We ask for God to provide. That's coming in the Lord's Prayer. But before we get there, Jesus says, look, this pattern should be recognize your position in Christ as part of a body and recognize your priority that God might be glorified and worshiped. That being said, then you get to what are you going to ask God for? Because hopefully what you ask God for really is going to line up with your heart's desire for God to be glorified above all things. So it kind of takes the selfishness out of our prayers that God might be glorified, that his name be hallowed. Praying hallowed be your name, meaning it, longing for it. It expresses this desire for the world to behold God and glorify him. A heart that prays this is a heart that beholds our heavenly father so enthusiastically that we want others to behold him too. <clears throat> it reminds me of uh, when Miles was two years old, and we would eat at Valley Ranch, the barbecue place, and they have a model train that goes around the top of the restaurant. Um, and every time, every time the train would come around, Miles would go, look, train, every time. Like he was surprised or forgot that it existed, right? Every time. And it wasn't just him beholding it, because he could just stare at it and enjoy it, but it was so amazing to him that he wanted to share that with all of us. And by like the third time, we're like, yeah, we know, train, like we've seen, we can watch it, we're adults, we can watch it go around the whole, you know, no, he's like, look, train, like here it is again, ah, it blew his mind. But he was so excited and so enthusiastic, and he wanted us to share in that wonder, right? He was beholding it, but it wasn't enough just for him to behold it. I want to share this with you guys. Behold this train, the wonder of this model train, it's still the greatest every time it comes around. This childlike enthusiasm, right? This is the attitude behind hallowed be your name, that we would revere God in such a way that our priority in prayer would be, first of all, that others would revere God as well. The second priority is to desire for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I say this is one desire. Uh, I think this is the same thing. 
for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done is the same thing because God's kingdom is his rule and reign just being lived out. So if everything is in line with God's will being done, then that's the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is when everything is as it should be. His kingdom is manifested among us when our hearts are surrendered to him and things are operating as he intended for them to operate. The kingdom is the reality. The gospel is the message, right? So what the gospel communicates, we see in the kingdom. The gospel is this is how it can be. This is how it should be. This is the good news. Jesus came to make things right. And when things are right, kingdom. It's the rule and reign of Jesus on display in our lives. So when God's will is being done, the kingdom has come. This is our second priority in prayer because it is our mission in life which accomplishes our purpose, to glorify him. So our top priority is to see our purpose realized, hallowed be your name. And our second priority is to see our mission applied, your kingdom come, your will be done. If his will is being done, his kingdom has come, and the result or the fruit of that is the hallowing of his name. When we're living as Jesus has called us to, when we're all uh, surrendered to the, the will of God and, and doing the will of God, and again, in won't be perfect obedience until Jesus comes back and makes it all right, but we see the kingdom manifested when things are lined up with God's will, and then he is worshiped and glorified. In outreach, as I've mentioned before, missions exist because worship doesn't. So if our priority in prayer is for God to be glorified and his kingdom to be manifested among us, hearts need to be surrendered to him in order for that to happen. People who have yet to believe need to believe. The scripture tells us they can't believe in what they haven't heard, and they can't hear what's not proclaimed to them, right? And so as you back that up, follow that up, you say, well, if this is what I'm trying to see happen, it's my desire to see uh, God's will be done, his kingdom come, then how, what do I need to do to see that happen, to see that accomplished? Well, hearts need to be surrendered to him. Well, hearts can't be surrendered to him unless they believe in him, and they can't believe in him unless they hear the gospel, and so we have this commission, this great commission that Jesus has given us, right? To share the gospel message. Their salvation, of course, is between them and the Lord, but he has chosen us to be the messengers. And so as we proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ, God turns hearts towards him. They start to surrender to him, and then his will is being done, his kingdom has come, and then his name is being hallowed. And so he is worshiped and glorified, as is our purpose, but part of our mission to see that happen is sharing the gospel with others. So these priorities drive our prayers. They fuel our outreach. Jesus follows these motivations by asking God to provide, right? There are requests. There are we need things. These petitions are petitions in prayer, third point. What are we to ask God for, according to Jesus, who modeled this prayer for us? Well, Jesus prays for bread, forgiveness, and basically spiritual wisdom or protection when he says to lead us not into temptation. He's showing us that we can ask God to provide for our physical and spiritual needs, right? If it's not about just reciting these words word for word, it's the heart of this message. What is Jesus showing us? That our physical sustenance, our spiritual sustenance, God is the source of all of that. <clears throat> and so our Heavenly Father is the source of provision, both physically and spiritually, because we are alive in Christ. So 
the elemental basic physical sustenance that we need to survive, we ask God for. This reminds us that he is the source, the sustainer, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. It reminds us to be dependent upon the Lord, to thank God for what we do have, right? The petition for forgiveness and to avoid temptation reminds us that he is the source and sustainer of our spiritual lives as well. He is the only one who can forgive sin. And if we're forgiven, we should realize that others need forgiveness from him too. And if the only reason for our sins um, are forgiven is because of his grace, then we should forgive others as well, right? If it's grace, we don't deserve it. It's, hey, give me what I deserve. No, it's, uh, I don't deserve it. You've shown me grace, and in your grace, you've forgiven my sin. Then I should recognize that everyone else that I look at and say, sinner, they need your grace too. And not only your grace, but I should show them grace if they've wronged me. A full understanding of this helps us to see that we're in no position to judge anyone, right? If we've truly experienced the grace of forgiveness, then we should extend that grace to others because it is, uh, there's plenty to go around. There's enough for everyone. If God can forgive us, then he can forgive others. And if he can forgive others, then we can forgive others, right? Who are we to say, well, God might forgive you, but I don't. Like we're in no place to judge someone like that. God has shown us grace. God can show others grace. We should show them grace too. Ultimately, if we want those who are far from God to become children of God, we should pray on their behalf that God would forgive them and provide for them. Again, their salvation is between them and the Lord. But we should pray to that end. We should pray for that to happen. We should pray for God to convict and convince them We should pray for them to believe in Jesus. I hope you're encouraged this morning by your position in prayer, your um, priority, your petitions. I pray that your priority and petitions in prayer reveal a heart that wants to see God glorified above all else, that his name would be hallowed because of your obedience and your faith to follow after him. Let's pray. God, we do thank you um, for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. We acknowledge that forgiveness only comes from you. It's against you that we have uh, sinned and rebelled and tried to run from. And so it's you who we need forgiveness from. I pray, God, that uh, our prayers, our prayer lives would be Uh, so rich and so centered on your glory, God, that it would be us moving out of the way. We would be able to see our our requests start to change as our hearts start to change and start to acknowledge that our priority is that you be glorified in us and through us. That your will would be done in our lives and around our lives and our relationships with others. That you would be on the throne of our lives and it would be evident to others that you're on the throne of our lives. And so as we set that as our priority, God, that some of our selfish requests would start to fade away, some of the things that we think we need or deserve, things that we desire, that those would start to melt away and we would start to see our prayer lives start to see um, become just so selfless, God, that it would be about your glory, it would be about you working in the lives of others, ministering to others. Not that we shouldn't pray for ourselves, God. You, you've given us this this 
direct line of communication, when, when we are in need, when we need um, encouragement, when we need healing, when we need comfort, we are to come to you, God. And so I pray that we would seek those things from you. But God, again, that our priority and motivation in all of that, to see your name be hallowed, to see you be worshiped and glorified. And God, in that, that a heart that truly is surrendered and seeking your glory would be motivated and burdened for those who don't know you yet. That we would pray for those around us who have yet to trust in Jesus. That we would not just pray for them, but that we would share with them the message of your gospel, the message of your kingdom, the message that you have come to forgive, to save and to give everlasting life. As always, God, I pray that we would walk in those truths, but that we would also extend those truths to others in love. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.